Friday night of the youth conference, um, our theme that we had picked for the youth conference was three-dimensional, if you've seen kind of some of the t-shirts and stuff around. And we landed that theme back in like December, but had a really hard time with that theme going like, exactly what are we gonna try to say? Because there's like a million ways that you can be like, oh, it's three-dimensional this, or these are the three dimensions, or really actually there's four dimensions when you like, we had all this back and forth and couldn't quite put the right language on it. And it was just a few weeks before the conference that I finally felt like God settled in my heart, at least the angle that we wanted to go after it, was that the three dimensions for the purpose of our, converse, of our conference and that teaching time was that the three dimensions being you, your world, and God. Okay, now this is like really critical. We're right back to Genesis and we're like, okay, well, the original design is what we wanna look at and go, okay, God said, let's make man in our image, right? And you had, God, you had man, you had the world and the world he lived in and you had God in this perfect three-dimensional synchronicity and in that was a release of a command from God to take dominion, be fruitful and multiply and like subdue the earth. This was the command of mankind was to not just ignore the world and just be like, I am one with God and it's great. But he gave them a world to steward, to take dominion and have leadership in and to subdue the earth. And this was the design of God. Obviously, as we know, this was broken in the garden, right? When the enemy came and lied and he essentially in his lie convinced them to step out of three-dimensional living into a two-dimensional life looking at me and the world I live in and how do we make this work apart from the one who makes things work, am I right? So this became this entire mentality that still very much exists in the world and maybe increasingly so, is this entire mindset of looking at the world around us, comparing what we see and then saying, wow, how does that affect me? Oh, I don't like this. Because how many of you have looked at the world and found, wow, there's problems? Yes, right? So what, what that's created though is an entire mindset that is addicted to the pursuit of comfort and pleasure at the avoidance of pain and suffering, right? We would call that, um, I gotta look at it again, hedonism would be the technical term, right? For this total focus and pursuit on maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain and suffering has become the two-dimensional world that we live in is that people do things, how it happens and how it works out in their world gives them feedback to how they look at life and go like, oh, well, that's a da, 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 da. And with missing the third dimension of involving God, the power of God, and not just recognizing, oh, he's up there, but also going, I submit to that and I am completely given to that as they were created to do in the garden and for all eternity to be submitted to the one who formed, crafted, and said, this is the created order. You, your world, and me, all in this synchronistic relationship, taking dominion, this is what this looks like. This is this world that we've created now, though, that what we see is a pursuit of comfort and safety so much to the extent that almost every bit of advertising that we find on TV or internet or ads or everywhere you go is simply appealing to that one simple human need, comfort and convenience. They sell you stuff because it convinces you that it will make you feel better and life will go easier. Everything in advertising leans to this this hedonistic mindset that says, look, you need this to avoid pain and enjoy more, okay? The entire culture has gone this way. Now, it's interesting because we look around and we go like, with all the options, you'd think we would have arrived, 
right? And I say to our students all the time, if this actually worked, the people in Hollywood and Nashville and New York City would be the happiest people on planet Earth. And yet, though there is no advertisement that they have to say, oh, I can't afford that. I just heard a rumor, uh, rumor report. Who is it? Um, oh, shoot. Beyonce and what's her? Jay-Z just bought a house, right? Their monthly mortgage payment is $225,000 a month, right? That's their monthly. Like most of us don't live in houses that cost that much, right? That is their monthly bill. And yet, they're just so entirely happy with all things in life and they've found all solutions, right? Or not, because there's a missing piece to this world that gets locked up in two dimensions. And so I wanted to title today, that's all the review, okay guys? You hanging in there, you good? You guys okay? All right, last year I think I preached like the same sermon Friday night and Sunday and they were like, oh, we heard this already. So just to recap, now we'll move on. But I wanna title this today, Comfort or the Comforter? The answer to the question, yes to both, but has to be handled and managed in proper order and proper understanding. We are not destined for misery, but we are also not entitled to comfort. We were given the comforter who brings us comfort, but not in the way that the world would define comfort by any stretch of the imagination, right? Because it doesn't work that way. How do we know this? Because Jesus put out an advertising campaign when he established his church and his kingdom, and he said, the world will hate you because of me, and in this world you will have trouble. Wait, what? Like, there's no bait and switch in the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus said from day one. He wasn't like, sign up for the Jesus Club and then it's gonna just be great. <laughs> there's nothing in scripture that says such a thing. It actually says, come die. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, and it's like, well, that doesn't sound fun at all. Well, it probably isn't, but the payoff is worthwhile and that's the difference I'm serious, it will cost you everything. And if it doesn't, we have a problem. It's what David said when he went to the guy's field, right? And he's like, I wanna make a sacrifice to the Lord here. And the guy was like, oh yeah, I have the field. Here's the offering, here's the animal. He goes, no, 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 stop right there. David said, far be it from me that I would sacrifice to the Lord something that costs me nothing. He got this, he understood that there's value in the cost, in the sacrifice, in the process, in the journey. And that's like, guess what? We all know that, right? We know this reality is true, that the process is what pays off and actually satisfies, right? Farmers get it, right? They're just like seeds in the ground. Like, you know, not comfort, that's hard work. And then it's months of going like, I hope it rains. And the payoff comes in waiting in the process, though the process awful, or oftentimes is a pretty awful uh, tension and wanting and wondering what's gonna happen, where's this going? But yet, in the church, we often have this very different mindset about suffering, pain, and discomfort. In every other aspect of life, we are happy to look at the situation and say, say yeah, I think that, challenge, adversity, and, um, and suffering often, almost always, 
turns into advancement, right? In your job, in a sport, in music, in family, in whatever, is like the things that cost you the most are oftentimes what take you onward and upward, right? Shared in the first service. If your boss comes to you at work and says, hey, we have a real problem that we need to solve and I wanna put you on top of this project and I want you to run it and I want you to come up with a solution that makes this happen. What do you do? You work extra hours, you pull extra people in, you get advice, you go crazy, losing your mind, you're up in the middle of the night, wake it up, it's very uncomfortable. And at the end of the process, you advance. And we would call that very normal, right? In a sport, a coach, right? Drags you out to practice two a days, right? 7 a.m. before school and then 3 p.m. after school and he runs you to death, does push-ups and sit-ups and suffering. And we expect that what that does is produces an advancement in our skill, our ability, our conditioning, all of that. And we're very comfortable with that discomfort. We come into the church world and this is where the church has begun to adopt in so many ways some of this hedonistic thought process as we come to church and go, don't make me uncomfortable. Don't let me suffer. I just want to be here. And we wonder why growth is not explosively happening in our own lives and in the lives around us as we come just going like, no, just don't mess. Just, this is my safe space. Our culture has created like an entire market of comfort, right? Comfort food, right? Comfort, comfort clothing, comfort places, comfort zone, comfort control. You can control your house temperature from your phone, even if you're not there. You can make sure your house is comfortable without you. Like the entire world has got this like massive market on this focus on like, how do we just be comfortable? But what comfort does is leaves you exactly where you are. And I think it's the greatest risk to the body of Christ today is that we would actually be comfortable because chances are in comfort, there is absolutely no progress. They're simply steady. And Christ did not come for like a just get through and be stable church. He came for a growing church, a spotless bride that he's returning to receive who has prepared herself, right? That's a big deal. And how many, how many brides in the room? How many of you are married women? Raise your hand, right? Was, was like the process before your wedding a bit uncomfortable? Be like, kind of like forcing yourself into like, you know, like a lot of dieting, right? And different things, but even just the wedding preparation and all the different things, like, no, there's like, like there's stress, right? Unless you're that perfect bride that's like, it's fine, I don't care, right? Like, but still there's always the, the preparation, the things that are required for advancement take us out of comfort and move us forward, and Jesus is coming back for a prepared bride who should be diligently moving into discomfort and embracing discomfort for the sake of being a prepared bride. I know it's really like, what? I didn't sign up for that. Well, sorry, you did, because Jesus told you so, whether you know it or not. But this is what we see radically happening. And I read this thing, it says right here, I, I Googled, what are personal comfort items? Because Google is a very good source of all things, right? <laughs> Take it for what it's worth, but I thought this was interesting. It says personal comfort items and services are which primarily serve to comfort or convenience a client and do not contribute meaningfully to the treatment of an illness or injury. 
So it actually is like an entire industry of comfort items that are there to make somebody feel good, but have no meaningful help at all in the healing process or the situation. And yet an entire culture seeks comfort, 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 hoping it's gonna fix what it says. Like this is just a secular perspective that says this is just a feel good. It's not helping the problem. And yet we seek, we seek, we seek. And here's what really gets wacky is when we hit discomfort, we start questioning. We, and our first place of questioning is where? What? God, right? In Romans eight, it talks about, right? The mind led by the spirit or controlled by the spirit is life and peace and the, light, and the mind controlled by the flesh is death and destruction, right? And it says the mind controlled by the flesh is hostile to God. Do you see that? Two-dimensional thought. My life is supposed to be, it's not God hostile. It was the moment Adam and Eve stepped into accusation and the moment when it broke and God said, it's the woman you gave me. Or the very question we hear so often in our culture is how is God good when bad things are always happening all around us? That is just the wrong premise to start with. That is an expectation that we know how God ought to behave and he's not cooperating. Therefore, my determination of good defines what he ought to be and I don't see him being who he ought to be in my mind, i.e. I'm God. So we turn our attention and try to blame God for what we see that doesn't just work. And we're going like, oh, but that's the world does that. No, the church does it too. We're like, things go, oh, I didn't like that. And blah, blah. You know, like we get into these grumpy modes when we get stuck in a two-dimensional thinking. And we start accusing people and we start accusing programs and systems. And yeah, the church is a great target. Like you'll find, guess what? We're all people with issues and we're gonna do stuff wrong. Okay, we're in process too, right? But you can find, oh, I'll find an institution to blame for why the world's not working the way it is. And we get these hostile mindsets and no wonder the world looks at the church and goes, nah. We're meant to be something in the midst of trial and tribulation where we're advancing and the world goes, whoa, how'd they do that? How are they not miserable? How are they not depressed, suicidal, anxious, worried, fearful, all these different things, all of, those, all of those emotions, okay, can have positive tones to them. Please understand, fear can be good. We took our kids to climb on really big boulders yesterday on this hike, right? 30 foot, these big rock faces, it was beautiful. Anybody been to Boxcar Rocks? Anybody know what that is? Oh, it's like a secret, a few people. Anyway, it's amazing, but I got a seven-year-old, 11-year-old, 13-year-old with us, right? And we're just like, get up there, you know? But fear to a degree in that place, when applied properly, creates and breeds wisdom. It's an uncomfortable place of going, hey, you could fall and die, so use your brain as you do it. The other, the adverse, toxic version of fear would say, you can't go up there because that's just, you're just gonna die. One causes wisdom and one causes lockdown because comfort becomes, I just, I'm more comfortable if we just don't go up there. Yeah, you probably are. You also won't ever be able to learn balance and grow in that. And you use discernment. It's wisdom, I said. You know, just be like, do whatever. Like, that's stupid, right? 
But this becomes this pursuit of comfort that we go for, right? Worry can have its merits. It can make, oh, you know what? I'm concerned about what could happen in this outcome in this kind of thing. If it means we lock everything up, we're not growing. Worry can drive us to comfort rather than challenge and we don't grow, right? This, all this stuff then breeds all this, this expectation of it's gotta be comfortable. It should be this way and it needs to happen. And we get depressed when, why is my life not just going perfect? Because I thought it was supposed to be. But we look around and we go, oh my goodness, everybody's life has got stuff. Is anybody up against something right now? A little bit of, oh, just me. And six others in the room, come on. Anybody uncomfortable in the season right now? Like, yes, there are things that make you go like, ah, like Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, you kind of like, ah, like, right? There's uncomfortable things that should not make the church go, I don't know, maybe we were wrong. But maybe we should stand up and go, okay. Maybe we don't get a pass on an election making us comfortable. Uh-oh. So maybe we live in a tension now, right? I'm, I'm going there, I'm stepping in. Anyway, so maybe we go there and say, you know what? Maybe we're being called into something more uncomfortable than what can be done in a 12-hour day. We stand, like John said, for truth and righteousness and life. And that's not just a November thing. That's a all the time church rise up and represent something because we don't trust in governments and elections. That's not our hope. It's a great vessel. It's a wonderful thing, but it is not the end all be all. Our hope is in the one who gives hope, right? Oh my goodness. So I'm getting riled up. Sorry, I'll settle down. So here we go. I'm gonna jump right into scripture because it took me a minute to get there. Whew. I know, sorry. We're gonna go to John 14 because this is where Jesus promises this and it's a wonderful, beautiful scene that we get where Jesus is about to depart from his disciples. John 14, verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that a good thing? Jesus like, hey, that's a command. Means we actually have some role to play in that coming about. Otherwise he'd just be like, no trouble. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Means you're allowed to let your heart be troubled, but you don't have to. That's fair, right? So Jesus says this, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare the place, I will come back and take you to be with me so you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas immediately chimes in like a teenager, right? That's no offense, it's just real. I still do it very much, too much, than I, more than I should, is speak before I think. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know how to get there? Jesus is like, I just told you. Like, put this, like real people, real young man, three years after this, and Jesus is like, um, uh, where'd it go? I lost it. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Those are the words of Jesus right there. Immediately, Philip pipes up, another young man, right? Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough. Jesus is like, I just said you saw him. <laughs> like, real people, right? Don't read the Bible like some like, oh, where is this? Okay, it's real people. Jesus is like, whoo, Jesus answers. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after all I have been among you, 
For this or for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? They were seeking comfort in a moment and Jesus was speaking comfort in eternity and a recognition and a realization that they were like, but now we've, and he's like, I just, you've seen the Father, but I don't, you've seen the Father. A stern, firm, fatherly reminder. No, you don't understand. You've seen him. Don't look for comfort in the moment. I am sending comfort. And we jump down to verse 25, and this is a passage we know well. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the comforter, in most translations, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. Do not give, I do not give to you as the world gives, two-dimensionally, Right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. He repeats it again. And do not be afraid. That's a command of Christ. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Again, he bookends this entire chapter going, I'm sending the comforter. And we know it shows in um, John 16, rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things about leaving. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the comforter, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Jesus himself said, better for the Holy Spirit than for me to stay here in the flesh. I have thought a million times, I wish I could spend one day with just Jesus. And Jesus is going like, hello. I said, it's better what you've got already. An indwelling Holy Spirit that's not Jesus with me, it's Jesus in me. The fullness of life, the fullness of eternity all wrapped up inside. And we sit here going, show me the Father. And he's going, he's inside you. You have him. You carry him. He is with you. This is where comfort comes from. He is the comforter who brings you to comfort, not because your circumstances are comfortable, but because you know where comfort comes from. Right? This is like, Paul does this really, really well because he was like in prison a lot and a lot of bad things and right, like beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned, 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 like many, many, like he's like, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face persecutions of all kind. He like, he's like, he didn't sign up for the like comfort gospel. He signed up for the suffering gospel. Take up your cross and carry it daily. That's a death symbol of taking your life and saying, it's not mine. I crucify this life that I might be filled to a greater level with the spirit of God who is in me. And the more of my flesh that rules in my body, the less of his spirit has authority to do so. So there is like, there's actually a need for us to go through suffering in the flesh and things happen and tensions come and all these things. It's necessary for us to grow so that the flesh may be done away with and the spirit may come and rise up in its fullness that we might be revealed in the earth as the sons and daughters of God. This is such a powerful place in reality. And David got this stuff, okay? Here we go, Psalm 23, you know of it? You might know of it as the 23rd Psalm. Yes. Oh, they're like, now I know, right? Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. We like to cut it off right there, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
What is a rod and a staff? Parents know, right? <laughs> Spare the rod, hate the child, right? The, the rod is discipline. It's correction. Is that ever comfortable? But is the outcome good? The staff of a shepherd is for direction and moving and uh, pull them back in, right? It's the gentle correction of the Lord. Those are the two things that David said, give me comfort. Not, oh, life is so good and all the bills are paid and life is like my kids are all paying and now I'm in comfort zone. No, he's in the valley of the shadow of death. Really key word right in there, shadow. Have you ever caught that one? He's not, not, yea, though I walk through the valley of death. It's the shadow of death. A shadow has no content. It has no value, no power. It is simply a picture and an image and it's empty. It's the shadow of death that might feel like it's cowering over your life. It's like a three-year-old in their bed going, this is a monster, right? Like now it's your stuffed animal and the light's shining. Like it's a shadow. It can't touch you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. And we're comforted, comforted by his correction. So yes, some bad things can come upon your life because you make bad choices. Learn from them. Still his rod and his staff will comfort you. Some things come because God knows enough about you that you need something to be corrected and you won't move if you're comfortable. So he just might bring a season of tension, blessed tension, just to bring you through like any good parent would do, like any good coach would do, like any good boss would do. And we don't take those opportunities when the boss comes, hey, I really want you to take on a big project and this could really advance you in the company. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be in this field. No, we go like, seriously, me? You saw, what? God is doing the same thing with us. Coaches, I want you to work twice as hard because I want to make you captain of this team and I want you to lead the guys. So I'm going to push you harder than everybody else. Oh man, I don't want to be on this. Maybe I shouldn't play soccer anymore. Like, no, that's like you get called up with extra pressure to be formed into something, to reveal something. And we, we embrace those opportunities in the flesh in the two-dimensional, and when God calls us up and wants to bring us to discipline, rod and staff, and correct our behaviors, or move us into a greater glory, or move us out of a stupid job into something he actually called us for that we ignored, we're like, oh, maybe I'll just, that's cool. I don't really need that. Like, don't make me, like, we shy away in the thing that actually has eternal value. We are meant to be an uncomfortable people. Do you understand that? Ask every disciple, ask every saint of every season, every part of history, how cozy was it? But somehow we think we're now in like the 21st century and like it's different now. If we're gonna change the world, it's gonna be smooth. That's stupid. I'm sorry, I said that, it's live stream, anyway. Sorry, I talk to teenagers a lot. I gotta go right for it, right? But that's crazy thought that suddenly the, the whole world's just gonna be like our little pet, you know, our little toy. Like, look, look, it's so nice. We're taking over, taking dominion. Ask anyone in this room over 60 years old, how comfortable has it been to bring life to where it is right now? Oh my gosh, like it hurts. 
And it's awesome because with the Holy Spirit indwelling you in the journey, in the pain, in the push, you walk in victory and it feels amazing because there's reward, because it's valuable, because it costs something. It's like crazy. So then you actually take comfort in the things that the rest of the world is going, that's insane. And they start looking at you at work going like, you went through that and how are you not like losing your mind? I don't know, Paul kind of showed me how to sing in prison and, and like miracles come when, we've, when we step into the pain and we step into the struggle with the three-dimensional mind that says, God, I'm submitted to you and my world will submit to you because I'm in charge of it. Right? Romans 8, 18. Oh man, I'm running out of time. Right? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation, the creation, the world, got it? The creation itself waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by him, right here. Oh, I gotta get back to it. Frustration, I just wanna say it accurately. But by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So we still have the mandate of the Garden of Eden, of Genesis, to take dominion, right? Rule. But that happens now in a broken world. Creation longs to see the sons and daughters of God revealed so that creation itself can get set free and worship God. The whole world is longing for this. The rocks will cry out, the trees, right? All the crazy good stuff, right? Like creation is going, we can't do this. It's you in the image of God created for purpose to take dominion and rule the earth. Taking dominion sounds like war. It sounds like push. It sounds like work, right? It's not like, oh, comfortably take dominion of the, you know, like, no, like, let's go. Let's go for what God has given us and take dominion of the earth, bring forth the kingdom of God in its fullness through those who are being revealed, not by trying harder, but by totally submitting to the third dimension, Godhead, Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. This is not a rah-rah, like, pump-up message. This is simply, like, truth that we miss it so often and we wonder why nothing's changing and we get frustrated by our situation and our circumstances have us depressed, worried, fearful, locked up, and we're just like, I just don't know how to function anymore. He's there. And his rod and his staff might be trying to comfort you and you're going, but that hurts. That can't be God. Like, no, it really probably is because he loves you enough to correct you into the calling and destiny he put on your life when he spoke you into existence before the foundations of the earth. This is all very real Holy Spirit life. I've got a couple more scriptures. Read Isaiah 40 this week, the whole chapter. I don't have time to read all of it, but verse 28 I'll read a little. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and, he is under, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth 
grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It doesn't say they'll lay down and it'll feel good. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. They'll soar. That's all movement. That's all progress. That's all advancement. That is not, I feel good. This is good. Don't mess with it. I got my safe space. No, the church is not called to a safe space. We're called to dominate with the love and power of God. This is the mandate of humanity. And so many in our world are missing it. They just don't see it. They're like, I just, my life, and, uh, and they get depressed and it hurts. And they don't know what to do with it. And no wonder our culture is going like, we have no aim, no direction. The church needs to learn to suffer well. Like really suffer well and be comforted in the midst of it. Not when it's over, but in the process. Is pain real? Is, is trauma real? Is like hurt real? Yes. We lose people. Things happen. You know, injustices come up, come up to our doorstep all the time and the feelings are not wrong. What do we do with the feelings? Do we go two-dimensional with the feeling? Or do we mourn in the presence of God and allow him to comfort us? Do we grieve? Do we hurt? Do we like contend with the heavens before God? Or do we just go like, it's so bad. It's all you hear about, about the next generation from the world is, oh man, they're leaving church and they don't blah, 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 blah. blah. That's not true. I watched it. I see it every week. Because I'm not looking at their world in two dimensions because there's like, 80 years left of their life that God has yet ordained for them. So we, we look at culture in the world in three dimensions, not two. And it changes the way we see it and it actually adds comfort to the right where we are right now and we don't go like... <laughs> we get so worked up about what we see and we go like, God, what do you see? And what he sees is different and his track record is ridiculous. Right? There you go, Alexander, right? It's like if you're ever wondering if God's just gonna quit on your situation, just look at history, read the Bible. He's got a really good track record. Better than your 401k, better than the stock market. We trust in some things so foolishly and we let God kind of be like, I don't know, he, I, think he, I think he quit on me. After all these years, you know, he had everybody else figured out, but my life, nope, I think he missed me. That's real, like, come on, I've thought it, I've felt it, I've believed it in seasons. But God, but God changes our perspective and brings us comfort in the midst of a really painful season, in any season. I'll read two scriptures and we'll pray and we'll be done. I think. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that, the, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. It's part of this tension is the very death, the very, uh, is the very darkness that reveals the light of God in us as we 
Trust him and lean into that. 2 Corinthians 4.16, a few verses later, therefore, do not lose heart. It's almost like he heard this somewhere. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, is mom, or our light and momentary troubles, and this is Paul talking, okay? Our light and momentary problems, like being stoned and imprisoned and beaten and shipwrecked and the whole list, right? are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, are, what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we set our eyes on the one God of all comfort, the God of all hope, who has overcome the world and we stay in this place in our heart and in our mind, not as just a mental exercise. That's part of it. God gave us a brain. So yes, it's choosing to think right thoughts. Yes, it's choosing to, to look at the situation and go, that doesn't feel like God's in it. Maybe we need to ask God to come and show us where he's in it rather than trying to figure it out on our two dimensions. It's really Yes, that's a mental pursuit. There's also the spiritual pursuit that just says, Jesus, clearly I don't have this figured out. I submit to your ways. I submit to your will. Correct me, train me. As David said, search me and know me. Find any wicked way in me, God. What a powerful, passionate, exciting, happy prayer. David wasn't like, oh, find it. I don't want to deal with it. He was going, no, like, expose me. Because if it's not of you, I want no part of it in me. That's like, that's called freedom because you know the thing that he already wants to call out in your life. You just haven't really wanted to submit it. You already know, you've already prayed the prayer. God, show me any wicked way in me. You're very aware. Will you submit it or is comfort holding you right where you are? It's real. And then if you actually try it a few times, you start to learn how fun it is. The first time is terrifying because you gotta let go of comfort and move into something you can't tangibly control. But he's a good God, a good father who will take your burdens and go, hey. And you start to find out that repentance is the most glorious, joy-filled expression of life you'll ever experience. <gasps> I think different now. And I'm not depressed, and I'm not discouraged, and I'm not anxious, and I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. That doesn't feel like a bad outcome. And it's what God does. So that's the invitation I want to give this morning. Go ahead and stand up. I know I'm over time. Sorry to the babies and my wife who's in charge of the babies. Bless her. She's amazing. Anyway, whew. So, and all the nursery workers that handle your children, we love it. But will you let God take you out of comfort so you can grow? I don't think there's a human on planet earth that says I'm good right where I'm at. Don't do anything. Nobody, I ask the youth all the time. I'm like, anybody's life totally perfect? Don't change a thing. Next 80 years of exactly where you are, not a single hand in the room. I can imagine the same response here. Nobody here is going, I got, it's perfect. So therefore we all desire to grow, to expand. That will not happen in comfort. That will happen in submitting and going, God, take me out and take me up. Will you expose anything in me that is wicked? that's out of line of your kingdom and really let him have it. And it's super fun. It really is super fun to see God take and work in the parts that you thought you had to manage, but it was his cross that managed it for you.
So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna open the altar up here. If you've got any of these majors like anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, addictions, all this stuff, this is not the mind of Christ and it's not for you and there's no shame at all. There is a conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, come, let's do this. The rod and the staff of God is for you and your real comfort comes in submitting. I don't know how to say it. And 2 Corinthians 3 talks about the veil over our eyes when the word is read, when scripture is read, it's a real thing. But when someone turns to the Lord, the veil's removed and they see what they couldn't see before. So if you're going like, I had no way, I don't, whatever. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, turn to the Lord in your heart and watch the veil come off and you start to see what you couldn't see before because submission to his way and his will is where comfort lands every time in every trial and God is good. So Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that our definition of good does not determine your goodness, God. So we yield what we don't understand this morning to you, that you'd open our hearts, God, and show us revelation of who you are, God, in the circumstances that we are, God. Show us how to be three-dimensional beings, God, to live with you, submitted to you, to take dominion in this earth, God, and watch your glory come in our lives. We thank you that you comfort us in every season of life, God. Not by circumstance, but by your presence, God. Thank you, Jesus. Fill this church, fill this body with a fire and a desire to know you, to submit to you, God, that we would be a display of your glory in the earth and the sons and daughters of God would be revealed and creation would get set free because of what you do in this house, God. And in this region, in this state, in this nation, God, we believe for all of it. So Holy Spirit, come. Break off mindsets. Pull us into the third dimension, God, to know you and to see the way you see. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar's open, all those things, anything else, healing, stuff you want. If you're desperate, please come up. We got a prayer team up here. If you gotta get going, get going. We got the EITC meeting down in the Tigris, Euphrates room. Love to have you check it out. And there's the Church Connect luncheon downstairs. If you don't have lunch plans, come check it out. So bless you, bless you. Have a good week.